Hi guys, this is Erica Weston with Fox Sports Midwest, and you're listening to my favorite St. Louis Blues hockey podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi there, everyone. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and this is Let's Go Blues Radio, past to the future. I need one win. What are you going to do to get me that? Selfish hockey. That's right. Selfish hockey. Break it down. Skate the puck. Don't pass it. Headman's still going to be there when you catch up, boy. Take it coast to coast. Shots from poor angles are still shots. Fuck and a half, two minute shifts, three minutes even. Cruise the blue line to catch your breath. Bad bounce, that's a good breakaway. Gotta get the bounces, boys. Man, that open is heavy. You are listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. This is Season 8, Episode 63, Franchise Episode number 249. This, of course, is the Past to the Future Summer Series. We call it the Summer Series because typically it's done during the summer, not during a pandemic. But we don't really have a choice here. Not a lot to talk about for a live show every week like we had last week. Uh, Curtin Bill returned last week. If you missed the show, it was a lot of fun, of course. Curtin Bill coming back, talking hockey, talking blues, talking NHL coming back. Fun stuff. Uh, when will the next live show be? As I've said every week, no idea. Uh, this is a week-to-week basis, folks. So as soon as we get some big news, I'm sure we'll have another show uh, like we did last week with uh, all the signings the Blues have made in the past couple weeks. Quick note about the Let's Go Blues Radio jerseys that uh, we ordered a couple weeks ago. They came in. So if you're interested in seeing what they actually look like, just check us out on social media, uh, LGB Radio on Twitter, myself, jpunter94, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we have posted pictures. Uh, a couple people have also posted their pictures of themselves wearing their new Let's Go Blues Radio jersey. So the first order is in, and everybody has received them, uh, hopefully, by the time this uh, this show airs on Wednesday, April 29th. Uh, so yeah, if you did order one, I'm expected to be coming soon. Uh, also want to add that the giveaway winner uh, from, I mean, my God, this was towards the end of the season when the season was canceled. Uh, we ended up last week just announcing a new winner. Uh, Jesse Hill, Blues Rink Rat on Twitter. You won the Bennington t-shirt because the last person never contacted us. Well, I know you listen to the show, Jesse. So, uh, why don't you go ahead and just, uh, get in touch with us. Let us know so you can pick up your prize. Uh, well, so we can mail you your prize. We don't know where to send it. Uh, make sure you just, uh, hit us up on Twitter Facebook, uh, send us a, an email at radio let's go blues.com. You know how to get a hold of us, so just get in touch with us because you are a winner. And if you do not claim it this week, I will pick another winner next week. I just cannot give this shirt away, apparently. Nobody wants it. Claim it, Jesse. Come on. Come on. You're up, buddy. 
Well, uh, guest for this week's show, big one to start. Ken Wilson does the past segment of the show. He is the former blues announcer for a very long time and uh, someone that we recall on this show often. And then uh, the future segment features new friend of the show, Greg Boyson of the Hockey Writers. Uh, he actually covers the Rockford Ice Hogs and the Chicago Wolves. Now, you're probably asking why I got this gentleman, uh, because he does not cover the San Antonio Rampage, but he does cover teams that play against the Rampage, sees a lot of players common. Uh, it's a common place for him to see a Rampage player up until, you know, obviously the Rampage are no more. They are now defunct. I could not get anyone in San Antonio who's covered the team, anyone who's close to San Antonio. I just, I don't know. I guess it's understandable. You know, they're leaving town, uh, you know, people who covered the team are moving on to other things. So uh, I kind of just looked all across the hockey coverage landscape, tried to find anybody who's seen these players play a lot. Well, Greg, as I said, goes to games in Rockford and Chicago for the Ice Hogs and the Wolves. So he sees these guys very regularly and was very happy to come on and talk about San Antonio Rampage players, future Blues and uh, this week we talk about Austin Pagansky. Uh, now again, San Antonio Rampage for most of last year, but he did get his one game in with the Blues, and I'm sure some of you remember that. Uh, he played uh, very minimal minutes, but uh, we do talk about Austin Pagansky right after we talk to Ken Wilson. And uh, this is a very fun show, folks, so make sure you uh, listen to this whole hour-plus interview with Ken Wilson before I talk to Greg Boyson of the Hockey Writers. This is Jeff of Let's Go Blues Radio. We're doing our past segment here of the summer series, or whatever you want to call this, with um, the pause in the NHL season. Uh, I have a a very special guest on the show, somebody that we talk about often on the show as uh, kind of the voice of our childhood, uh, and that was uh, Ken Wilson. He is the the 20, 20 seasons as a blues broadcaster, uh, called many NHL games, not just for the Blues, and also many Major League Baseball games, as well as uh, boxing and many other sports. Uh, Ken, it is quite the honor to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming on. Jeff, it's my pleasure. Always uh, happy to talk and talk about anything that you might want to talk about. Anything. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I may, <laughs> might have some come up in a couple hours. <laughs> Uh, Ken, you, uh, as I said, uh, 20 seasons as, as with the Blues, um, you uh, you kind of went, uh, went all over the place. Uh, you you born and raised in Detroit, uh, came to St. Louis. You are in Hawaii now, and that's also where you had your uh, uh, grad school. Um, I'm guessing that's why you returned. Uh, where's your where, Where's your favorite place to go? I mean, obviously hawaii's up there because that's where you live but um you know of all the places you've been where's your favorite american or canadian city you know i i have a lot of favorites and and i've always said that uh where where you live is always nice the key is who you're living with right uh and i'm i'm happy to be with my wife of many years in hawaii now so that's very nice but i've always enjoyed wherever i've lived uh, and i always think that there's uh many good things about where you live and uh, but again it's who you're with that really makes it happen i mean i grew up in detroit a lot of people you know, maligned the, 
the Motor City, but of course I, I have great appreciation for Detroit and uh, have always loved Detroit. And I was joking with my wife last night just uh, out of uh, curiosity that uh, she, she said, you're you going to return somewhere. I said, you know, I left Detroit out of college and said I can always go back. And I never went back. I've never been back. And uh, that, that's, you know, just the way it always is. And uh, I lived in Seattle for, for many years. I thought Seattle was a great place. Uh, I've lived in Portland for many years. I thought it was a great place. Uh, lived in St. Louis, obviously, for, I don't know, 20 years. And, and I really enjoyed St. Louis. I love St. Louis. I think there's a lot of great things about St. Louis. Uh, you know, my favorite, I don't think there's any question, my favorite place to live is Hawaii. Um, I came to Hawaii when I graduated from the University of Michigan and really enjoyed it. I had my early years as a sportscaster in Hawaii, my first uh, six or seven years. Uh, and I was in my 20s and I was single and, well, the, you know, the rest is history. I mean, I couldn't have been much nicer. So I fell in love with Hawaii. Uh, this is the third time I've lived here. I think I'm at about uh, 12 years of living in Hawaii and I consider myself pretty fortunate. I told somebody yesterday, I said, you know, I've lived here in Hawaii 12 years. Uh, it's not a lifetime, but there are a lot of people who have never spent a day in Hawaii, and I feel pretty lucky to have spent 12 years of my life in Hawaii. It's a great, great place. Yeah, my, uh, I, I'm one of those people who have never been. My wife went when she was a kid, and uh, every day I hear, well, next vacation, we should go to Hawaii. So I, I hear you. I get that every day. <laughs> Every city has great restaurants, great activities, uh, you know, places you can drive to, things you can do. Uh, my, my line on Hawaii, and I, I wrote this to some friends, and, and, and this, this time is not the greatest time of our lives, but I've always said about Hawaii the two things, well, two of the things I like the most is one, uh, drawstring shorts and a t-shirt take you anywhere every day. <laughs> and when you're in doubt on a Sunday afternoon and you're wondering what you can do, It's hard to work here. It's hard to make a living, but uh, 
anyway, that's the answer to my favorite cities. But I always love St. Louis. Uh, you know, I miss Ted Drew's. Uh, you know, <laughs> I miss some of the restaurants. And, uh, you know, I miss driving out to the winery. And, you know, I miss some of the people. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of great, you know, a lot of great, great, great places. Uh, the most recent place I've lived is Portland, Oregon. It's a fabulous city. It has great restaurants. And it has enough rain to last you a lifetime. Yeah, that's exactly what I hear about uh, anywhere up uh, in Portland and Seattle. Um, so you, you've you called, I mean, as I said, so many different sports. Hockey probably being the primary one you've called, but you've spent a lot of time calling baseball as well. Um, actually, I take that back. You've probably spent more time calling baseball. Uh, what's your favorite sport to call? Well, I, I think hockey and baseball are my favorite sports to call. There's not much question about it. That's where I spend most of my time. Uh, and people have always asked me which I like the best. And, you know, that's like asking, do you like your son or your daughter the best? <laughs> and, and the answer, you know, you love them both. Uh, very different, of course. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I, I, I just grew up with them. And uh, they've always been a huge part of my life. I, I feel I feel comfortable around baseball and around hockey. Uh, I don't know if I had to choose one, which I would choose. Uh, there's a lot to be said for baseball with the smell of the grass and being outdoors, that, that sort of thing. But uh, hockey is a absolutely fabulous sport. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've loved them both and been blessed to be involved with both meet a lot of great people and see a lot of great games and be in a lot of great ballparks and a lot of uh, terrific arenas. And, uh, wow. I mean, I, I look back at it uh, anytime and just, just feel so blessed to have had that involvement. And, uh, you know, I still follow the games to some degree, not, you know, not terrifically intently, but, uh, to some degree. And, you know, I love, uh, I, I, I almost cry uh, here in Hawaii because we've got some, you know, nice little league fields and things, and they're empty, and I hate to see it. And the other day, about a half a mile from my house, I saw a dad and a son with a with a net and a tee, and the kid had to be five or six years old, swinging a stick, hmm. as I like to say, and uh, learning how to hit. And, uh, it's a, it's just a fat, you know, baseball is like hockey; they're just fabulous games. And, can't get them out of your blood. Do you have any uh, hockey going on there in Hawaii? I know that you've got some baseball leagues there, but uh, what about hockey? Well, they have a rink here by Pearl Harbor, and it's a you know a typical uh, typical community rink. Looks just you walk in it, and you know you could be in uh, Waterloo, Ontario, or you could be in St. Louis, or you could be anywhere. It looks like a rink. They just don't have enough participants to. Uh, to make things happen and uh, you know if you're eight years old you're going to play in a league with 12 year olds and so there's not a, a not a very sophisticated hockey program but there are, you know as you can imagine there are a lot of uh, adults who are former hockey players who want to play hockey so it allows the uh, the rink to survive but uh, not a lot of hockey here it's interesting i uh the neighborhood i live in there's a <laughs> i met i met my neighbor uh, during the Stanley Cup playoffs when the Blues won the Cup. And uh, Gal's a, a cardiology nurse at the hospital here. And we met and we're talking. She says, well, I'm from Canada. I said, really? She says, yeah, I'm from Ontario. 
and she says, I absolutely love hockey. She says, I've been watching the Blues and Bruins every day. Nice. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 feet away in my living room. I'm watching the same games as you, and we're out here in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So I, I, live, I live next door to a great hockey fan. That's that's awesome. That's great. It's good to hear there's a little bit of hockey love there in uh, Hawaii, so keep spreading that for sure. Yeah. Um, want to talk to you about the Blues winning the Cup and your reaction, but we'll get to that in a little bit for sure. Um, kind of going back to your days growing up, uh, you know, obviously you've, I've seen that you've played hockey, youth hockey, youth baseball. That got you involved in sports. But you've said before that you idolized uh, uh, Tigers broadcaster Ernie Harwell. Um, when you started calling MLB games and then NHL games as well, um, did you find yourself, because I, I, I can tell you, I know I've done this myself, did you find yourself picking up some of his traits and and kind of you know doing a lot of the same things he did, or did you try your your best to not do that kind of stuff? Well, I, I've always theorized there's two kinds of baseball broadcasters. Uh, one is the uh, Mel Allen Harry Carey school of broadcasting, and the other is the Red Barber uh, Ernie Harwell school of broadcasting. The first uh, is a and I and I respect both of them. Uh, the first school is kind of a Homer cheerleader, rah rah uh, kind of broadcasting. Uh, some of it may be true, some of it may not be, and that, that's kind of the Harry Carey. You know, there's, uh, I used to say that Harry has a show. You know, that's what Harry did, uh, and a lot of broadcasters have done that. Bob Prince in Pittsburgh and others, and they've been highly successful loved by their fans. The other is the Red Barber uh, School, and Red was in the 30s and 40s in Brooklyn, and, uh, you know, he was very much by the book. Uh, you had to describe it accurately. It had to be exactly as it was, and uh, you were not, you would never cheer. You would always be straight down the middle as a reporter, and uh, Ernie Harwell and Vin Scully came, uh, worked with Red and were in New York and Brooklyn in that same era. And so I grew up uh, with Ernie Harwell as the broadcaster of the Tigers. And uh, so I, I and, and, and I, and I was a journalist at heart, I think even in high school, uh, and then obviously in college. And I, I look at myself as a reporter, as a journalist. So it wasn't hard for me uh, with my personality and, and, and ideals to to fall into that Ernie Harwell, Vince Scully, Red Barber uh, school of broad, broadcasting baseball. Uh, and people who have not heard that consistently have trouble with it. You know, oh, Vince Scully's no good. Those guys are no good. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. But that's where I, how I ended up broadcasting baseball the way I do. And uh, so I, I tend to have a lot of Ernie Harwell traits. I tend to have a lot of Vince Scully traits. And I suppose Red Barber traits, although there are very few people, if any, who, who remember hearing Red Barber now. Uh, but it's very much, uh, you know, down the middle. Don't don't cheer. Just re- be a reporter. Uh, and uh, you know, and so I, I picked up traits that were Ernie Harwell's uh, and how how he did the games. And, uh, you know, and I had a lot of a lot of everybody had great respect for Ernie as a person. There are very few people that we've ever met that have been greater than uh, Ernie Harwell. Uh, as it turned out in my career, uh, P. 
people continually said, you sound like Vince Scully. Mm. Uh, and that wasn't from growing up listening to Vince Scully. I never really heard Vince Scully until I was uh, an adult. Obviously, uh, shifting more to hockey, um, you've called some pretty unbelievable games. I mean, the 1986 Stanley Cup Final, the 87 series between the Soviets and the NHL All-Stars, the 1990 Goodwill Games, and then, of course, everything you did with the Blues, uh, including the Monday Night Miracle, the President's Trophy team, the, the sweep of Chicago, the sweep of Dallas in 2001. So many. Uh, is there one that you can pinpoint looking back now and say, yeah, that was the most fun series or game to call? Jeff, I can almost remember some of those games, believe it or not. It's very difficult for me, uh, and, and I've, I'm asked that more than once. Well, which, you know, which game do you remember the most? Uh, in, in, in baseball also, and I, I tend to remember... I tend to remember broader things, you know, players, uh, teams, eras, and, and, and that sort of thing, more than uh, specific games. Uh, and, and when I remember specific games, I couldn't tell you what season, for instance, uh, or, or the date, or, or that sort of thing. I mean, I remember, a, you know, a play, and, and, you know, in this day and age, you can look back and you can go online and see the highlights and find out all those things but you know I remember a playoff game in Dallas that uh, kept the Blues alive I remember a game in America West Arena in Phoenix in the playoffs that kept the Blues alive I think the having off defenseman left handed shot left point uh, goal to the right scored a goal that kept the Blues alive uh, I think maybe the game I, I remember the most uh, of all the games uh, was the game at Joe Louis Arena when Steve Eiserman scored in double overtime to eliminate the Blues. Oh, that one hurts. Uh, <laughs> the shot from just inside the blue line that went over John Casey's left shoulder, I think it was his left shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was a very good Blues team. We thought we were going to go a long way. And, uh, you know, it, it, is, it, is, it isn't easy, even today, to lose a game seven in double overtime. So that's probably the game I remember the most. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, there, there are a lot of, lot of games. And, uh, you know, I remember the first uh, NHL game I ever broadcast was a preseason game at Milwaukee Arena. And I was the new TV voice of the Chicago Blackhawks. 
I hadn't seen an NHL game in, uh, I don't know, 20 years. Wow. <laughs> it was something like that. And the Milwaukee arena was very dark. I can imagine. And, uh, I was doing the game with Dale Talon, and we had a bad, bad spot. I could hardly see the players. But anyway, I, I survived that game and went on to do a few more NHL games. But unfortunately, I, I re- remember that very first uh, preseason game. Uh, there were some games I remember with the Blackhawks when we played Edmonton in the conference finals. Uh, I'll say one thing. I was always lucky in the NHL to have very, very, very good teams. Uh, my first two seasons in the league with the Blackhawks, uh, Orville Tessier was the coach, and Denny Savard, and Doug Wilson, and Al Secord, a lot of other really good players were on those teams. Uh, we would go head to head with Edmonton, and uh, you know Messier and Gretzky and uh, Fuhrer and uh, Moog and all those players, and uh, so there were some great, great games. And you know the Blackhawks uh, obviously fell short to the Oilers at that time. That would have been uh, 81 and 82, no, let's see, 82 and 83 playoffs. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around there, the early 80s. Anyway. Right. And, uh, you know, so those are very uh, mem- memorable games uh, also. Uh, I think the games between the Blues and the Blackhawks, you know, there are dozens of those games. Oh, yeah. That that were, were, were memorable I'm trying to think other games. The uh, St. Patrick's Day Massacre comes to mind. Yeah, you know there were, I mean there were so many fabulous games that uh, you know the playoff games always mean so much and the, the, the tension is always there and uh, yeah it's uh, you know they're they're fab- fabulous memories. But again, I tend to you know it's like I talk about the two seasons with the Blackhawks. I remember you know generalities, right? You know. Blackhawks, Oilers, the players, that sort of thing, more than one uh, specific game. And the same with the Blues, I think. Yeah, so do you remember your first game uh, covering the St. Louis Blues? Do you remember anything about it? I I would not remember it, although I've read that it was uh, Blues at Calgary to open a season. 1984. October of 84. Yeah, I would not remember that other than somebody remembered it and somebody did a Wikipedia page and put it in there. Yep. So if it wasn't for that, I would have absolutely no memory of it. <laughs> but uh, that, that was the case. How I was there, I, I have no memory. I remember in the early days, I would typically work with uh, different ex-Blues players Right. Uh, when, Dan, when Dan Kelly was not there. Other times, Dan and I would do games together, uh, but uh, I I have no idea what I guess the Blues won that game, or so so it says. Yes, yeah, they did. Um, no, that's uh, um, that was something I I learned today as well, and I thought you know just in case he was never told that I want to I want to make sure he's aware that uh, it is known when his first game was. So at least you can you can hang your hat on that. Everybody knows. <laughs> That's right. Yes, every everyone knows. Um, so I wanted to ask you uh, as well that uh, you know you again you you covered so many Blues games, so many different Blues teams, but you also had a, a slew of guys that filled in in the booth with you. Obviously, uh, Dan Kelly is is you know a Hall of Famer and just a, a fantastic human being, and 
Uh, but but in terms of other color guys you've worked with, Joe Micheletti, Bernie Federko, Bruce Affleck, uh, in, when you did Blues games, was there anyone that stands out as uh, someone that you felt like you really had a good connection with on the air? Well, I, I wouldn't, you know, put one over another or, uh, you know, do, do something like that because uh, they all had their assets and all did, you know, I thought, did some great things. And I enjoyed working with all of them. There's not one person I worked with that I uh, didn't respect and uh, didn't, didn't enjoy working with. I think that uh, when you talk about uh, analysts, if you will, or colormen or partners, that my, my attitude always was, and, and still would be that my one of my main jobs was to make them shine, that to make them as good, help make them, they have to do it themselves, but to put them in a position where they can be really good, where they can be successful, shine. And that was always my, always my goal. And when uh, somebody said to me, so-and-so was really good with you, or you two were terrific on the air together, I thought that was success. Yep. That, that was that was success to me. Uh, I know a lot of people thought that Joe Micheletti and I were uh, very good together. Obviously, Joe was very good. I thought I was pretty good, and I, I like to give Joe, a, you know, a platform, you know, to, to be good and and to be successful. Uh, you know, I looked at it as a team, and no matter who I worked with, I looked at it as a team, and I wanted the team to be successful. So, uh, you know, that, that was always uh, my approach. Uh, at the end, I worked with Bernie. Bernie, t- terrific guy. Well, I liked his book. <laughs> he said nice things about me in his book, so mm-hmm. uh, why wouldn't I have liked his book? Right. But I did like his book. <laughs> I found his book very interesting. Uh, Bernie was a, a lot of fun to work with, very, very nice person. And uh, I enjoyed the years and seasons uh, with Bernie. Bruce Affleck was amiable and very easy to work with. Uh, couldn't have been any better. And then I think before that, it was, uh, you know, Joe. Uh, other than that, I think that, that those were the three I probably worked with more than anyone. There were games with uh, Rob Ramage, and uh, Rob was the third man and did color for us uh, uh, for, for a number of seasons. Uh, you go back, uh, pretty hard to remember everybody, but... Uh, you, you worked with a young John Kelly. I remember that. I, I saw a video of you two together in, I think, the early 90s. Yeah, we did that. John was uh, trying hard to be the blues announcer, and I was already there as the blues announcer. And uh, one thing led to another, and we did do uh, we did do games together. Right. Uh, so let me ask you this. Uh, was there uh, ever a call that you remember? I know games are hard to remember, but was there a call that – you look at across your entire uh, hockey career covering hockey that you remember, obviously, Oh baby was huge, but um, you know, the Monday night miracle call is one that a lot of people point to. Is there anything you can think back on that you remember and say, you know, that was, that was probably my best call. Well, I wouldn't want to hang my hat, my <laughs> career on one, one call or two calls. <laughs> uh, I, I'm the kind of guy who'd like to say, Hey, I thought I was pretty good most games. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not famous for one call, but I, I think the uh, the call of the Monday. You know, the the call is is based upon the, the product, the game. You're not going to have a great call that's remembered by people in a game that no one remembers. So, you know, the Monday Night Miracle was probably the, the biggest game I ever did, and 
So consequently, the call, I think, has some significance. I mean, it'd be pretty hard not to do a decent call on a situation like the Wickenheiser goal. Uh, you know, the, the, the product is there. As long as a, as a broadcaster you don't butcher it, it's going to turn out to be a pretty famous call. Uh, so I remember that, and I think that's, uh, I'm sure people can go back and see that game or see the end of it. Uh, it was pretty exciting. And I, I'll be honest, I don't even remember now what I said, but it was, it was okay, and the moment was great, so that that makes the call at least okay or better. Yeah, when the I moment's huge, it's it's easy for broadcasters to uh, to say, yeah, I called that great. Well, yeah, everyone remembers it, so of course. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> nature of it people don't uh, I think I did uh, I don't know 1650 uh, NHL games and believe me most of them are not memorable uh, I did I did uh, I don't know 2300 major league baseball games and I, I kept every every score scorebook I had of every game I did so at one point I had a stack I mean a big stack Wow. So I could go back and look at every Major League Baseball game I had broadcast, and I did. I was really bored, obviously, for a few days, and I did that. And out of 23, 2,400 Major League Baseball games, how many games do you think were? And I said, I'll keep the scorebooks, the score pages that are of real significance, you know, really important games or things like that. How many How many games do you score pages do you think I had to keep out of 23 2400 <laughs> I mean at the time every game seems important so you probably kept a lot of them I uh, I went through them all and I think I kept seven or eight. Oh, wow <laughs> yeah. you're you're a lot better at deciphering that than I would be that that's the truth I mean it, it's uh <laughs> you know so there were a lot of games that weren't that important uh you know in the end and you do a lot of games, and, you know, I mean, just uh, we're, we're getting off the point of your question, but uh, in baseball, you know, I had the, I had the scorebook for George Brett's 3,000th hit. I had the scorebook for the score page for Gaylord Perry's 300th win. Uh, I had a game where Julio Cruz set a big league record for assists playing second base. Uh, I had three, three no-hitters. Uh, three perfect games, although two of the perfect games occurred after I had thrown away most of the scorebooks. Mm. And, and there were another couple games. And, and uh, you know, I think I had uh, Cal Ripken tied uh, Lou Gehrig's consecutive game record. I had that game I did. And then that was it. That was it. Mm. So that's, that's all there was. Uh, I was kind of fascinated to realize uh, how few really important and or memorable games there were thus you know how many great calls would I actually have had and how many calls uh, would there be that would be that memorable I mean you know I got I called George I called Pete Rose's hit of course right that broke Ty Cobb's record um, and if you move away from hockey over to baseball that that's probably the most memorable call uh, of my career and why is it the most memorable call of my career? Not that it was some unbelievable work of art. It was the fact that the event uh, was so important at the time right. and so memorable. Right. I agree. Um, so in terms of uh, just 
really any sport that you've covered. Um, again, you mentioned a couple of the big name players that you've uh, you've been able to, to call games for. Um, is there a player or maybe a number of players that you just really enjoyed just to watch the game? I mean, you could really say that about any Hall of Famer. But, um, for example, I know back in the day you always raved about how good of a defenseman Al McInnes was. And so is there anyone that really stands out in your mind now as you look back that you're, you just kind of feel privileged you were able to call and watch that person play? Are we staying on the ice here? We, we can go anywhere. The, go the anywhere. diamond, the the boxing ring, whatever you want. <laughs> I think we're pretty, pretty safe if we stay on the ice or the, or the diamond. Uh, you know, when I, when I, I'm, I'm going all the way back now. Okay. All, all the way back. Uh, I was lucky enough to uh, realize what Major League Baseball was when Al Kaline uh, was in his second season, okay? Mm. And, and I'm very sentimental, uh, so I probably shouldn't even be talking about these things. But I got to watch Al Kaline's entire career, uh, a lot of the games in person. Uh, you know, and he was a five-tool player and a five-tool gentleman. And uh, it was fabulous uh, uh, watching him. I'd go to... Briggs Stadium or Tiger Stadium early to watch fielding practice just to watch him throw to third base. Uh, and, you know, he was the kind of guy, if he came up in the ninth inning, uh, he'd single, when you needed a big hit, he'd single the left center with a line drive. I mean, it was like automatic. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of respect uh, and a lot of enjoyment watching his career. Uh, and I'd say the same thing about watching Gordie Howe. Uh, he had been in the NHL for a few years before I became aware of the game, but he was still a fairly young player uh, when I started going to NHL games with the original six. And, uh, you know, I don't have to say much about Gordy. I mean, people, right. you know, unless they're very young, people know about Gordy Howe, and there are a lot of great Gordy Howe stories. Uh, uh, and after that, if I try to try to stick to hockey, uh, you know, you really get a better idea when you have players that are on teams that you see all of their games. Right. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take much to say, wow, Gretzky did things that other people couldn't do. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and you, you watch Gretzky play and you're going, wow, really? I mean, really? Yeah. He, he just did it. Really, he did that. And, and he does that. And that, and that that's always been uh, my measure. Somebody says, "What's a great? who's a great player? What's a great player? A great player is a player that does things consistently that other people can't do or right. don't do. That, that's what a great player is. You know, if you do a lot of things well, a lot of the time, you're a really good player. But I'm not sure you're a great player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, great play, great players are few and far between for me, which is why I've always been tough on who should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm Hall of Fame you. is for great players, you know, of a generation practically. And, you know, not just a fellow who, up some big numbers or was a real real good player because there are a lot of good really good players but great players um you know when it comes to the blues uh, and i uh, you know let me go back to october of 84 and just you know think of the players that i saw every day Uh, you know bernie was a a terrific passer oh yeah Uh, so when you watch bernie federko play you know and he almost many times seem to be doing it in slow motion. That's a real trick. You know, the game's pretty fast, and Bernie kind of could control the tempo and could, 
you know, make plays and do things. And, uh, you know, he, he was very memorable and enjoyable to watch. And, and, and on the flip side, in that area, he had Brian Sutter. And, and, and Brian was, you know, not a highly skilled player. But wow, what a player he was. Oh, yeah. You know, he was tough. He was tough. Mm-hmm. And, and, and tough has a place in hockey. Always has. And, uh, you know, to watch uh, Brian Sutter on a daily basis, uh, you know, that, that, that was, you're, you were watching heart and soul uh, every game. So that that's, you know, and again, I'm going to forget some people that I, that I sh- should mention, but, you know, watching Federico and watching Sutter, and, uh, there are a lot of other, you know, terrific players of, of that era. I can see already I'm going to miss more than I'm going to remember. Oh yeah, but they were they they were you know they were great to watch, and I'm, I'm not wanting to slight anybody, uh, but also in that era, you know, we had folks like Doug Gilmore and Adam Oates, and you know, your centerman often controls you know what's going to happen on the ice, and they were uh, terrific players uh, in, in their own right. Uh, you know, and I, I should talk about a lot of wingers who were great and scored forty goals, but. Uh, Gilmore and, and Oates come to mind. Of course, you know and that leads that leads you to Brett. Uh, and the thing about Brett was he, he fits the mold perfectly. Brett could do things that other people couldn't do. You know, he had that quick release and could score goals like other players simply couldn't do with that regularity. Um, and I've always said I thought Brett was a, a better passer and did other some other things better than anybody ever gave him credit for. Uh, but watching Brett was 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 interesting because Brett was uh, a fascinating personality uh, in many ways, um, and it, it kind of reflected in his play. I don't think it's uh, out of school to say there were nights that Brett wasn't the Hall of Famer that he was. Uh, he didn't look like a Hall of Famer some nights, uh, but he he could rise to the occasion. I think there were you know. I think uh, Brett's personality was such that, you know, he, he wasn't going to give you 110% every shift, every <laughs> night. Uh, but I like to say, I, I, I do remember a game in Buffalo, and I, I, I've mentioned it many times. Uh, and I, I can't remember the exact circumstances, but it was something like the Blues were down 2-1, to one, or it was 2-2 two to two late, and Brett had not played well. He was just a player. He was just there. Or as Ron Caron liked to say, he was just a spectator. <laughs> uh, so, well done. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Brett's best game. But you know, there was a face off with you know eleven seconds to go, and I remember it was in the near circle to the right. You know, and they win, the Blues win the draw. They get the puck to Brett, and he buries it. You know, uh, that that's that's the kind of and and, and the headline was you know. Hall scores winner with 10 seconds left. You know, and he hadn't played well enough to deserve a mention. Right. But he, he got the headline. Yep. And, and, and that's, that's, what, that's what great players do. Um, there were a number of... Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I, I tried to play defense. Uh, that's where I played. I, play is really stretching the description <laughs> of what I did. But... The game because I played the game and I followed the game and I really understood what defensemen were where they're supposed to be and what they were supposed to do. Uh, when, when I think of Blues, the, the, the fellow that really impressed me uh, was Scott. 
control the game more than just about any player I saw. He obviously had a great career with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, but he, he controlled the game. He owned the game uh, when he was on the ice. And I, I can't remember if he played, did he play one season or two seasons? One season, yep. One season. Well, I remember a lot of it. That, that's how impressed I was uh, with Scott Stevens. But if he had the puck and he was behind his net, you knew that the play was going to be made, okay? You know, you were going to go somewhere. And if the other team was attacking, you know, he was going to knock somebody from here to there. Right. Was very, very, very physical and didn't look like he had all sorts of finesse, but he could do all sorts of things. I was really, really impressed uh, with Scott Stevens uh, when, he, when he was with the Blues. And, of course, if you think, you know, in, in uh, later days, uh, Al McInnes and uh, Chris Pronger, uh, two very, very different players. Oh, yeah. Uh, very different players. Uh, Al was, uh, Al, you know, was a very, you know, off the ice, a very steady guy, a very smart guy. And, uh, you know, it was very, I'd say it was very level, appeared to be very level. And, uh, you know, he was, he was a, sort of like an elder statesman, even when he was a younger player. Um, and, you know, he had that shot and he could do things and he, you know, played great position and did a lot of things and hacked a few guys. And, yes. You know, played, played, the, played the game well, played the game like, you know, lots of players would have played it uh, in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chris Chris Pronger, you know, had, had great physical tools that, you know, not too many people have been blessed with. Uh, and he knew what to do with them. Uh, he almost made the game look easy. Uh, yeah, and we all know it's not an easy game. People keep forgetting that not only are these players doing extremely difficult things, but they are doing it on, on ice skates. Yeah, so this is this is not on a wooden floor. This is on ice. Uh, I thought he made the game look easy. Uh, my memory of him is always when somebody's taking a shot and he's between them and the goal. It's stretch his arm out and the stick out and deflect the puck over the glass and out of play. Uh, that's my main memory of Pronger. You know, there's a lot of pressure. Guy takes a shot, but pucks out of play. Yep. On Pronger's stick. Uh, you're going, wow, that's that's pretty nice to be able to do that. But he had to reach of, what a half a mile or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. He was pretty. He was pretty fortunate. But they they were they were a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and again, I've left off more players uh, than I should. But I'm just trying to you know go go through the memory and uh, think of players uh, that, that made a, a real big, big impression. And there, there were many, many, many and, uh, you know, different coaches too, but uh, those are some of the players I, I remember the, the most and, and why I remember them. So you, uh, obviously, at the end of the 03-04 season, uh, there was the lockout that happened and, and you did not return after that. There's been a lot of speculation a lot said about why there was a change in the broadcasting booth and um i know you've been uh you know happy to talk about that in the past but looking back 17 years later um why do you think uh there was a change made there was it uh kind of a you ready to move on as well or was it uh you know something that um you just didn't agree with at the time and still don't i you know i'm happy to talk about it i don't dwell on it and uh 
know, I'm not asking to talk about it, but uh, my, per- my personality has always been that uh, I, I don't have a problem revealing anything. I'm not the kind of guy who shreds things in a paper shredder. Right. You know, you're, you can read it if you want. I don't care. I'm not the kind of guy who locks the door. If you want to come in and steal something, I'll leave the door open. <laughs> so I, I tend to, I tend to uh, be rather open about things. Um, you know, there are, there are things that I don't know. Okay, uh, people did things and thought things and said things that I don't know because I was was not them. Uh, you know, I know what I know, and I know what people said to me. So for me, that's factual. And, and, and it is what it is, but it's only part of the story. Um, and, and I'm fully, fully aware of that. Do you want the two, two minute version or the five minute version? Oh, whatever you feel like telling. We've got all the time in the world here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to tell anything that hasn't been told. Right. Because uh, it's been asked before and I've, I've told it before. But if you went back to that day and that week and read what was in the paper, uh, much of it was not really true, hmm. uh, and and that's fine. I mean, I was uh, the day that it happened. I went on the, on the radio, and uh, the legendary Mike Claiborne reminds me that he hosted a show, and uh, Dan Caesar was there, and two or three other people asking questions because I said, you know, they said, well, "Are you going to comment on this?" I said, shoot, I'll comment on it. I'll tell you everything I know, and let's do it on the radio. Hmm. And, and and we did it that day. So, But some of the things that were, and and, and Dan Caesar had it pretty, pretty correct. Uh, other people wrote things that were, you know, simply, I don't, I don't know what you'd say they were, but it wasn't correct. And, hmm. You know, it never happened that way. Uh, and I think some people, and, and I could be guilty of it too, of, you know, remembering things to better suit the story, but I, I believe my uh, description is is more accurate. And, and what happened was my contract, this was what, spring of 2004? That sounds correct, yeah. Uh, there was going to be a strike. When I did the last playoff game, uh, I think it was Kiel Center at the time, when the game was over, I stayed there. Not a long time, not, you know, but I stayed an extra five or ten minutes and everybody was gone and I stood by the chair that I broadcast from, walked up the steps, walked through the lobby and went to the men's room and uh, as, as I did that, which is what I did every after every game, I said to myself, well, I just did my last National Hockey League game. Hmm. And I, I said to myself, I said, I want to be aware, I want to be have my true feelings come out. I've just done my last game and got in the car and drove home. So, you know, who knows, April, May, whatever it was. So I, I had in my mind that that was it. I was done. And the only thing that had happened at that time was in 2001, uh, my wife and I bought a house in Hawaii, which is the house we currently live in. So that was a long time ago. So 2001, we bought a house in Hawaii. And the idea was that sometime we would move to Hawaii. Okay. In uh, 1999 and 2000, we adopted two babies, uh, a girl and a boy, seven months apart. Uh, and they became a huge part of our life. Okay. 
And at that time, we were in our uh, early 50s. And my wife wanted a daughter, and I said, well, if we're going to have a daughter, let's have a son. So we adopted the, the two kids, uh, and they're biracial. And uh, I loved Hawaii, and we had a house in Hawaii. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, maybe because these kids at that time were three years old, you know, in, in preschool in Chesterfield, we said, you know, maybe we ought to move to Hawaii. Uh, we'd like it. And the kids might do better there being biracial. It might, you know, be a better atmosphere for them to grow up in. Mm -hmm. So so we had that in our minds at that time. And, and, and we're planning to move to Hawaii. Um, at the same time, the folks at Fox Sports came to me and said, your contract is up. This was when the season was still going on, okay? Yep. And we'd have lunch and whatever. And... They said, your contract is up, and we want to re-sign you to a new contract. Okay, well, this was obviously contradictory to what, what my wife and I were talking about. Right. So my wife said, what do you think? And I said, I, 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 said, I don't think I'm going to be overwhelmed to you know, throw our plans away. I said, the only thing that would seem to work for me, because I enjoy doing the games, the only thing that would work for me is if I did like 15 games, sort mm. of as a uh, broadcaster emeritus, a senior broadcaster. And uh, she said, well, what the heck are you talking about? I said, well, you know, I, I can live in Hawaii and do games anywhere. I said, I can live in, we can live in Hawaii and I can do the games, some games in Anaheim, some games in L.A., some games in San Jose, games in Vancouver, <clears throat> which is, you know, essentially as close to Hawaii as it is to St. Louis. Uh, you know, so I said, I, you know, if I, I would, you know, they hire somebody to do, I don't know, 65 games and I did 15, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be an unheard of idea. You know, a lot of broadcasters late in their career have done fewer games or not done road games. And she said, what do you think the chances are of that happening? I said, slim and none. Hmm. I said, I don't, I don't see them. I don't think if I were them, I would do that, and I don't see them doing that. But I said, that's really the only plan that I think would work for us. Hmm. She said, yeah, that would be good because you would keep your hand in it. You'd get to do some games. You'd still have the connection with the Blues. The fans would probably like hearing you do some games. I said, okay. I said, when the time comes, I'll present that. Uh, at that point, I was meeting with the brass at Fox Sports, and again, they said, you know, we want to sign you. you. I think I had a two or three year contract. They said, we want to sign you to a multi-year contract. I said, well, uh, well. So I hummed, hummed and hoed and hoed and hummed uh, and did not tell them uh, anything about what my wife and I were talking about because I wanted to see, you know, what, 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 what was going to happen uh, before I chimed in with my idea. And then they said one day, well, we've talked to the Blues, and the Blues aren't thrilled with you. I said, what seems to be the problem? Because the Blues have never said anything to me. The fact is, the Blues rarely ever said anything to me. Hmm. Um, and they said, well, there's some upset that you don't go to all the morning skates and all the practices. And I said, I go to some. And you're right, I don't go to all of them. Hmm. And they said, what's, what's your attitude? I said, well, I, 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 when I've gone, I get, I get nothing out of it. It's a waste of my time. 
uh, I'd only be going as a show to say, here I am, look at me. And I said, I don't do things like that. Hmm. Uh, I can find out everything I need to find out during the day online. Right. I can read read the paper. I can get to the game early. I can talk to the coach. Uh, I, I can get everything I need because I don't need that much. And they said, what do you mean you don't need that much? I said, well, you know, we have a producer whose job it is to come up with information and decide what the game is going to be like on television, what we're going to feature, what we're going to talk about, what the graphics are going to be. So I said, that's a person that's doing a lot, and I'm going to do whatever they say we're going to do. And I said, the other thing is, the analyst has to come up with all the side information. Uh, and I'm not the analyst. I'm just going to feature the analyst and make the analyst as good as possible. I said, so when I do the game, I come up with the three most important things in the game that I think have to be portrayed in the game and discussed and I write them down. Sometimes there's two, sometimes there's four, but typically it's three. And, and I'll write down one, two, three in front of me, what what I think are the most important things. And then I'll integrate it with what the producer wants to do. And then the analyst will be doing what he wants to do based upon the producer. And I'll tell the analyst the three things I think are important. And I'll use those three themes through the game. And late in the game, I'll go back to them to see if, if they actually happened. You know, like Blues have to play tight defense to win, and they're up one to nothing with five minutes to go, and we talked about tight defense in the first five minutes. So anyway, I said, so going to the skate does me absolutely no good. And if I see the skate for the opposing team, they're wearing jerseys without numbers, so I really don't know the lines. And I get the lines in the pregame skate uh, at 6.30, and I've been doing it for 100 and you have to remember now, when I started broadcasting hockey, there were no morning skates. Right. There was no such thing. There was no such thing. And I might tell you that Scotty Bowman and Mike Keenan, two fairly good coaches, years later thought that morning skates were a waste of time. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I didn't have a lot of respect for me driving 30 minutes to the morning skate, spending an hour and a half or two hours there, and then driving home for a half an hour. Secondly of all, for many of those years, I was running a River City Rascals baseball team, which was, was a hobby for me, but I thought it was good for the community and needed to be done. So I was doing that, which actually was a full-time job. Right. Uh, plus, I had two youngsters at home, right, babies, from uh, 1999 all the way, obviously, to 2004. And uh, that was a huge commitment for my wife and I being uh, quite a bit older. So I had a number of things going on, and I said to the folks at Fox, I said, you know, that's really bogus. I said, you know, going to the morning skate, is that making me a better broadcaster? I mean, is there something wrong with my broadcast? No, no, your broadcasts are great. It's just that some of the blues personnel think you ought to show up and go to every skate. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I just, uh, you know, it's difficult for me to see that. Okay. Yeah. And they said, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to work through this. Have the Blues talked to you? I said, no, no one's talked to me. And uh, I said, well, work through it. And they were going to get back to me. And I was sitting with my idea, and they were going to get back to me. And I got a call one morning. I can't remember from whom. I think it was uh, Jack Donovan, the head of Fox Sports Midwest. Okay. And... Uh, and it might not have been, but I believe it was. 
and he said, I, I was waiting for them to get back to me, right? Uh, and he said, uh, the Blues are going to announce a new broadcaster this afternoon. I said, oh, really? Wow. Really? I said, really? He said, yeah, they, 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 against our wishes, they've decided to hire John Kelly. Hmm. I said, oh, really? Really? Well, okay. Good enough. Wow. <laughs> good, 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 good enough. Yeah. I said, I guess, you know, and, and that was that. And we did the radio show to try to explain a little bit of what was going on, although I didn't know. And then, you know, if you read the newspaper and you read some columns in the Post-Dispatch and you read some other things, uh, you know, if you followed social media, somehow, and it was, it came a little bit out of, out of, uh, certain, certain people, two or three people that, uh, I was not dedicated to the blues, that I wouldn't do anything the blues wanted me to do. And they had to make a change because I wouldn't do speaking engagements. I wouldn't go to the morning skate, so I was uninformed. And that's why they had to make a change. Well, you know, I would say that wasn't uh, really accurate. As, as a matter of fact, I was with the Blues 20, 20 years, something like that. Yeah, 20 seasons is what I have. Yeah, and I believe, I, I, I thoroughly believe that to be successful as a broadcaster, you have to be totally involved in the community, okay? When I started doing the Blues games, I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, okay? So I moved my family to St. Louis to be totally involved in the community. And to be totally involved in the community, you have to be totally involved with your team. So any, any team functions you need to be at. If you're the voice of the team, you need to be the MC. You need to be very visible. You need to go to events. You, you need to be the guy. Okay. I can tell you on this very day that uh, I think it's fair to say in 20 years I was asked to go to no more than two or three events representing wow. Which I didn't like because it made my job harder. It made it harder for me to be well liked and, and successful. Uh, they would have an annual fashion show. They never asked me to go and be involved in it, let alone MC it. Uh, and there were a lot of things like that. Uh, and I was always eager and willing to do whatever I was asked. And I had a history of doing that with, with the Seattle Mariners. You know, I did. Uh, caravans and you know all sorts of things and all, always I, I, I never said no to anything I was asked to do in fact in the early days of the blues when I was still living in Phoenix uh, the folks at MasterCard in St. Louis asked me to MC an event at the in, indoor shopping mall down there in downtown St. Louis I said what do you need me to do well you're a celebrity we'd like you to show up and introduce some people it'll take about 30 minutes I said, what time? At 1 o'clock on Tuesday. So I flew on my dime from Phoenix to St. Louis, did the 30 minutes, and then flew back to my house in Phoenix on my dime. And wow. I was happy to do that at, at, at any time. I didn't tell the Blues. The Blues probably didn't know it to this day. But I was always uh, willing, to, willing to go. Uh, Dan McLaughlin once asked me to go somewhere and he, he was a paid spokesman for some product and asked me to go and meet the owner with him and, 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 and be involved in a commercial and 
I did it for Dan. I did it for free, and I was happy to do it for Dan. I like Dan, and I was happy to do that. And I would have done anything for the Blues uh, just because I called. I thought that was part of my job. So when it got out, and a lot of people believe it to this day, that I refused to do things for the Blues, refused to do speaking engagements, refused. So Chris Kerber had to do them. That's totally false. It just never, just never happened that way. Uh, I know when I was first there, anytime the Blues had a press conference, Dan Kelly emceed the press conference. Can I tell you how many press conferences I was made aware of in my 20 seasons with the Blues? I'm going to guess it's uh, a very low number that looks like a circle. Yes, zero. Okay. <laughs> so I said to myself, and, and Dan passed away. And I knew that they had emceed these things. And I always wondered, since they had my phone number, and I didn't, you know, I mean, if they had a press conference at 11 o'clock and I was at home, I didn't know about it unless PR, somebody called me, right? Mm. Let me know. Uh, I don't recall. Now, maybe it happened once or twice. You know, I, you know, but let me say this. It rarely happened, if it happened at all. And I believe it happened zero times. And, of course, I wasn't asked to emcee the press conference once Dan had departed. Um, so I, I, I basically never went to a blues press conference in 20 years, Wow! but uh, I was never informed of them, nor was I asked to attend as a member of the blues family. So anyway, I haven't totally agreed with those on social media and at the time in the post dispatch who said, I failed to do, I failed to, you know, take part in events. It just simply is not, not true. Hmm. So then it comes down to not going to the morning skate, I guess. Hmm. And so I, I guess that, and you know, their line was uh, they wanted to freshen the broad the telecasts. So yeah, getting rid of me and replacing me would make the broadcast the telecast fresher, and that I had lost a step and uh, was not the same broadcaster I once was. Well, I, would... I don't know how old was I at the time? Fifty, fifty-five, something like that. Exactly. If, Using a walker. <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> so anyway, so that, so Jeff, that's you know that's how I that's my perception of of what happened. But I you know I know that there was always a movement to have John Kelly be the voice of the blues and keep the tradition up with his dad. And I know that was true with some people in town, and I know it was true with the folks that were running the blues at that time that they would have much preferred him to be doing it rather than me. And, uh, you know, whatever they decided to do, they decided to do. Those people are all gone, and so am I. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll tell you, I mean, uh, that lockout year obviously hurt the Blues, and uh, Chris Pronger ends up getting traded. And I'll tell you, part of the reason that Blues fans were upset was because we were mad you were gone. We, uh I know I've talked to my co-hosts about this. I, I'm my hockey friends. I've played my whole life. And I remember us sitting in the locker room the day after it was announced and, and us just saying broadcasts are just not going to be the same. Like John Kelly does a great job. Former blues broadcaster, definitely a fan of his, but he's not Ken Wilson. Ken Wilson brings an element to the game that blues fans loved. And um, it was, it was sad to see you go. So I, I could speak on behalf of blues fans that, uh, you weren't the only one that was sad to, to see your time end. Well, you know, and, and, and Jeff, the reality of it is that this was May, and by July we were living in Hawaii. Yeah. 
True. So, so that wasn't that wasn't something that was not in the mix. Right. Uh, we we were we were leaving anyway. Okay. There's no no question. We were. I shouldn't say that. If they would have come and tripled the money in <laughs> five years, I probably would have gone to my wife and said, maybe maybe we're going to regroup here. Yeah. But, you know, I knew I knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. So so we 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 were on the tracks and headed to Hawaii with our two really young kids. That that was going to happen, and it happened within eight weeks of of their announcement. My my argument would have been uh, there was a better way to handle that, right? Uh, rather than quote unquote fire me. It's hard to fire you when your contract's up, but right? Anyway, <laughs> but rather, rather rather than you know your contract's not going to be renewed. Okay, I guess you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so rather rather than fire me and then. Support uh, stories that are simply not true to 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 support you know getting rid of me wasn't wasn't necessary at all. Right. I mean, all they had to do was say to me, "Here's what we want to do. We want to make a change. What do you think?" And you know what I would have said? I'd have said, "Well, my wife and I have a house in Hawaii. We're going to move there." And the only way I'd continue doing blues games is if I did 15 games out on the West Coast, which you probably wouldn't like to happen. If right. you would, I'd be happy to do them. I think it would be cool. Otherwise, I'm retiring. I'm done. Hmm. And they could have then said, hey, we're going to make a retirement announcement, and you're going to retire. That's all that had to happen. Right. But but no one talked to me except Fox, and they wanted to you know give me a new contract. Right. And away we went. So I, I, I think it's fair to say the Blues could have handled it a little better. Yeah, it's definitely the way it sounds to me. Um, so let me ask you this question. You came back and uh, did the commercial uh, recently for um, the, the retro nights here in St. Louis. And unfortunately, only got two of those three nights um, because of the cancellation of the, I guess, the postponement of the season. But that was something that came up on this show. What what they should do to make those nights extra special is see if Ken Wilson would come back to call the game. Um, is that something you'd be interested in doing if the Blues called and asked you to do that? Well, I've already told you that any time the Blues called and asked me to do anything, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. And it, 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 it was true in 1984. It was true in 2004, and it's true today. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I got a call from the Blues front office. Would you... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have these three games, you know, throwback jersey. And we're going to do some spots and play some things at the arena. Would you come back and do this for us? I said, I'd be delighted. I'm very happy to do it for the Blues. And they said, well, can you come up with a studio in Honolulu? I said, yeah, I'll get you a studio. I'll get you studio time. Send the copy and uh, I'll put it all together for you. And I did that. I got a studio in downtown Honolulu. We did the recordings, the scripts. It was easy. I talked to them on the phone, sent the, sent the, the, uh, sent the audio back to St. Louis, and they put the spots together, and they sent me a blues T-shirt. Nice. And I was, and I was very happy. Yeah. And, uh, that was fine. That's cool. Not hard. I, I, I don't think I was difficult to deal with. Uh, it was really easy. I was happy to do it. And the question is, would I come back to do some games? Uh, that would be quite a challenge, you know, to sit down and do an NHL game 
when you haven't seen either team. <laughs> uh, it, it, would, it wouldn't be the easiest thing one did. Uh, you know, I could do it and probably be decent. Uh, great might be out of reach, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I could come back and do it. Uh, it would be, it would be a challenge. And if they asked me to do it, I would have done it. But I certainly had no expectation that anybody was going to entertain that that idea. Hmm. Um, we're going way over on time here. I hope that's okay with you. I do have one more question for you. Um, yeah, it's, okay. it's okay with me, Jeff. I have all day and, and the rest of the week and the rest of the month. Well, good. I originally told you we were going to go four hours, so maybe we'll just go ahead and do that. <laughs> if, if we don't bore people and they don't turn this off, we just go endlessly. That's right. That's the way I see it. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you watched the, the 2019 playoffs, watched the Stanley Cup final. Uh, this was a question I asked recently to um, uh, one of the uh, – her name was Angela Sharp. She's a uh, was the former Blues uh, uh, in-game reporter. Uh, just recently left the organization, and, and same for me. I'm a former media member. Uh, I left the team on some some kind of odd circumstances, um, and so I asked her this, and I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, it was it hard for you, and, and again, the 2019 playoffs. I know that's obviously been 16, 17 years since you left the organization, but was it hard for you to root for the team again? Did it take you a while before you could really start saying? kind of in your head, let's go blues, or um, was it something that just kind of came back to you, or, or do you even feel like you still root for the blues? Before the, before the finals with the Bruins, I hadn't seen 10 seconds of blues hockey since that last game I did at Kiel Center. Wow. Okay. Or whatever it was, maybe it was Sabbath Center, I don't remember. Uh, I hadn't seen 10 seconds. And when game one was ready to go, I had that baby tuned in, I was ready to go, and I was a fan. And you know who I, the whole thing was about fans to me, because I know the fans. I know the St. Louis Blues fans. And you talk about hungry and deserving. It couldn't have been any more than what existed at that time. So I watched every second. I rooted for the Blues. I was blue, blue, blues through and through. And I was thrilled for the fans. I, I really was. I mean, it didn't really, you know, it affected me somewhat, uh, but it really affected me. And then I thought of the thousands, thousands of people that had followed the blues for years, lived and died, and maybe in some cases listened to me. Um, that that that's what the what the whole deal was, as far as I was concerned. So in the end, I I was very involved and, and very thrilled for the fans. Man, yeah, that I bet. I mean, you've met. I I, well, I mean, for example, I've. I told you that um, when I was a young man, I interviewed you when I was in high school because I wanted to get into broadcasting. And um, I remember another time, uh, I think it was also when I was in high school, I I had walked by your booth and you just looked over at me and I wasn't even going to say anything to you. And you had a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and you said, hey, hey, kid, you want a donut? And I turned around and looked at you and I was like, from Ken Wilson? Yeah. And so I grabbed one and I uh, walk up to my seat, and my brother was like, where'd you get that donut from? And I was like, Ken Wilson, and I took a bite. And he goes, you just took a bite out of the donut that Ken Wilson gave you? You're not going to take that and frame it? And I'm like, oh, you're right. What was I thinking? He goes, oh, come on, man. I was kidding. You don't frame a donut. So it's it. there was a lot of Blues fans that 
that cherished the work you did and and loved uh, hearing your voice calling the game. So um, that was something that we talked about on this show. Could you imagine Ken Wilson calling a Blues Stanley Cup win? Um, so I'm going to ask you, did you ever kind of get yourself ready? Because you said there's plenty of good teams that you covered. Were you ever uh, thinking how would you call a Stanley Cup win for the Blues? Uh, it never crossed my mind. Hmm. I had done, as you mentioned at the outset, the 1986 Stanley Cup Finals, uh, which Al McInnes and Brett Hull both played in, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, and, and it didn't mean much to me at the time. You know, now I look back and you know, I can say, hey, I was on ESPN National TV calling the Stanley Cup Finals, the final. You know, that's, that's okay. Not everybody gets to do that. Uh, but I had uh, never anticipated uh, the Blues being in the finals or what what I might say. Or no, I, the, the only thing I ever planned on in my entire career was what I would say when Pete Rose uh, came up with hit 4,192 to surpass Ty Cobb's all-time hit record. I, in fact, did know uh, what I was going to say. Hmm. But it was obviously coming, so... I, I was I wasn't going to be totally surprised. Right. It's the only time in my life I ever planned to say anything. I think Joe Buck has said the same thing about uh, Mark McGuire breaking the home run record. He said uh, back when I think he had like fifty seven or fifty eight home runs. He's like, well, I know he's going to do it, so I'm planning it in my head. But I know that the minute the play happens, I'm probably going to say something different, and that's exactly what happened. He uh, it was actually I think McGuire's shortest home run of the season. Uh, was the 62nd, just over the wall. And I remember he said, yeah, that's not what I was planning on saying at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that's true. So, uh, But I, I'm, I'm thrilled to this day uh, that the Blues uh, finally won a Stanley Cup, thrilled for the fans. Uh, and, yes, I have my T-shirt, and, yes, I wear it uh, on the beach here in Hawaii. So there you go. I'm just going to imagine you're wearing it right now as well. Can't say that I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Ken, this I have, is. I, I have a I have a gray T-shirt on with a block M, which is a University of Michigan block M. That's what I happen to have grabbed to be awake and alert when your phone call came. Well, there you I go. Should gra- I should have grabbed the Blues Stanley Cup T-shirt. I'm sorry, I didn't. That's all right. I will, like I said, I'll uh, I'll edit it to where you just said, yeah, I, I'm wearing the Stanley Cup T-shirt. <laughs> uh Kenneth, let me ask you one more and then uh then I'm gonna let you go about your day. But um uh have you been back in St. Louis at all since uh since you moved to Honolulu? That's a lot of years and I have been back. Okay. Uh I, I appear back in St. Louis on demand. Um most recently wife's brother's son was killed in an auto accident. I was back there for the funeral. That was a little over a year ago, so I had a couple of days there. Uh, way back when, uh, 14, 15 years ago, my wife's mother passed away in St. Louis, uh, so I was back there for a day or two, and uh, I think I'd say I've been there four times. Uh, my brother and wife uh, live in Sunset Hills so okay. my wife my wife grew up in St. Louis so she has a lot of very uh, close friends uh, in St. Louis so uh, yeah I have been back four times 
one of the times I went down to look at the ballpark village. Oh, yeah. Uh, I did do that. That's when it was very new. Uh, I haven't been in the new ballpark. Uh, when I go back, I basically make sure I go to Ted Cruz. That's, that's, really, the, that's really the key to my visits to, uh, to St. Louis. And I, I also go to the original Fortells, if possible, and get myself a pizza. Of course. So there you go. Now you know the rest of the story. Yes, of course. Yeah, uh, fortunately, COVID-19 has uh, uh, caused us to not see Ted Drew's open for about a week now. So hopefully that changes here soon because that is definitely the St. Louis staple. Uh, Ken, this has been uh, an absolute checkmark on my career. Um, I wanted to do an interview with you back uh, when I was in the media with KSDK and uh, just kind of never really came to fruition. So I'm happy I was able to do it on this medium because then we could have you on a little longer. So um, I may have to randomly call you during one of our shows and have you join us again because this was too much fun. Jeff, I'm happy to do it. And uh, for those people that have heard most of those stories before, I apologize for the boredom. But, uh, <laughs> but, but it's like I tell my wife, I, I, I only have four or five stories and they don't change. <laughs> these, things, these things tend to tend to stay the same. You know, the Doug Wickenheiser goal is still the Doug Wickenheiser goal. And until I die, I'll still have to talk about the Doug Wickenheiser goal. But I had fun. I enjoyed it. You did a great job, Jeff. And uh, my best to all the uh, Blues fans and folks in St. Louis. And times are tough right now, but uh, we'll all get through it. And uh, I feel for everybody. And uh, best of luck to everybody, for sure. Yes, yes. Same same to you and your family. And I hope everything's, uh, you know, everyone's safe. And Staying home and, like you said, relaxing on the beach for a little bit. Uh, there are definitely worse ways to have a quarantine. So uh, thanks again, Ken. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again sometime. Look forward to it, Jeff. Thank you. Hey, listeners, this is Brandon Bullock. I know, I know, I'm a former Chicago Blackhawk, but I grew up in St. Charles, and I'm a St. Louis in at heart. My wife and I recently co-founded Dana Eve, a health and fitness company that offers convenient workouts for anyone, anytime, anywhere. My wife is also a former athlete. She played Division I college soccer and is now a certified personal trainer. Upon founding this business, we adopted the motto, you can change your life in less than 30 minutes a day. After years of constant wear and tear from her sport, Dana developed her own method of training, the DE method, which was designed to go where you go. Using your own body weight along with our Anywhere Gym, Dana will help you achieve lasting fitness in mind, body, and spirit, whether on the move or in the comfort of your own home. Visit www.danaeve.com to start your free trial. That's D-A-N-N-A-H-E-V-E.com. This is Jeff, and we are doing the future segment of today's show of Let's Go Blues Radio Past to the Future. Today we're going to be talking Austin Pogansky, who was a member of the, well, San Antonio Rampage last season. Uh, I am joined by Greg Boyson. He is with the HockeyWriters.com. He's a credentialed AHL writer with the Chicago Wolves and the Rockford Ice Hogs. So he saw plenty of Pogansky and all of the Rampage this past season. Greg, thank you very much for joining the show. Well, it is a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, hopefully you're not going to get in too much trouble because you are a Chicago guy. You've got a Chicago jersey in the background, as I can see it. So hopefully Blackhawks fans aren't going to give you too much misery over joining the show. Uh, I plan on not telling them about this, so please keep it Genius. All right. You got it. All right, Blues fans, nothing on social media, okay? We're yes, keeping this I would secret. appreciate that. 
Uh, so again, uh, we're going to talk uh, today about Austin Pagansky. He was a fourth round draft pick uh, for the Blues, 110th overall in 2014. Did see a little time with the Blues this year, played in one game, and uh, and has been with the Rampage for three seasons. Um, so first of all, Pagansky is kind of known as a guy who, uh, you know, kind of has the a powerful stride. He's a power forward. Doesn't take a lot of penalties though. Uh, what's, what's it like seeing him uh, play against the two teams that you're credentialed with? Is he a hated player by them or is he just kind of a run of the mill guy? Um, well, it's hard to be the most hated player on a team that has Jordan Nolan on the roster. He seems <laughs> to take that uh, role, especially with the Wolves. They are not fans of his. Um, but he's that type of guy that definitely uh, will get under the skin of his opponents just by the way he plays the game. He's a big guy. He's physical. Um, <clears throat> he's not afraid to to mix it up at all. Um, he's good against the boards, goes to the dirty areas of the ice. You know, I don't think he's, uh, you know, he's not flashy in any way, but he's a solid, hard-nosed player that you know fits the mold of what uh blues fans look for in their players uh so you've seen plenty of the blues as well as the rampage again being a blackhawks fan and following the game like you do um do you see him possibly fitting in the blues lineup as early as next season um that depends on you know the roster construction the blues have a lot of veteran players you know uh, still on their roster from the cup team. Um, there, he definitely has a chance. Um, you know, he, I think his ceiling in the NHL is to be a bottom six type player, you know, a fourth liner. Uh, he's very good defensively without the puck. Uh, I know a lot of his college career and in and, and some degree in the AHL too, he's been sent out there on a lot of the tough defensive assignments against his opponent's top lines. Um, and he can add some secondary scoring. So he could be that type of player that comes in and gets a bottom six role, plays on the penalty kill, um, doesn't do anything fancy, but is, the, you know, that type of role player that every successful team needs. Yeah, that's something that, that I noticed with a lot of uh, the, the draft review after he was drafted, as well as uh, just people who have covered his game since he was with the University of North Dakota which, by the way, he was a captain for in the 2017-2018 season before joining the Rampage, um, is it's just kind of he's considered a power forward who is just kind of consistent is is the general consensus I've seen, that he's not going to have a huge drop-off between games. He's always going to kind of be the same kind of player you, that you want to get out of him every single game. There's not going to be, you know, stretches where you don't want to see him on the ice. You can trust him. At all times, and I know the Blues assistant GM, uh, Kevin McDonald, after seeing him play in the 2019 uh, preseason, says he must have created four or five turnovers just off being the first guy in, forechecking hard, separating the player from the puck, and now we're having 45 seconds of offensive zone time. Uh, We talked in between periods, and everybody is just excited for him. So it seems like, again, like you kind of said, he's not a guy, he's not flashy, he's not going to be a Clem Costin out there, he's not going to... Uh, you know, pull off some ridiculous moves that we've never seen before, but he's a guy that's going to provide uh, plenty of defensive depth and offensive depth uh, for the Blues. So, um, again, if there's an NHL comparable, 
Can you think of anyone, whether it's a blue or anyone else? Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, you could, you could kind of compare him to like, uh, uh, and I'm drawing a complete blank. Tough right call. Here. It's a tough call. I know. <laughs> I have a name on the tip of my tongue and I can't, uh, can't get it out of my uh, mouth here uh, while I try and think of it. Um, th- there's a quote, one of my favorite quotes I got last season was from uh, Ice Hogs head coach, Derek King, when he was talking about his team captain, Tyler Secura, who's the same type of player. He's the older brother of Dylan Secura. Um, same type of player, probably doesn't have the upside that Pagansky has, but he described Tyler's game as um, he doesn't do any one thing great. He just does everything really good. And I think you can put that description to Pogansky perfectly where, you know, he's, and he's, he's a coach's dream. He will skate through a brick wall if you ask him to. He knows his role. He accepts his role. He doesn't try to do anything above what his skill set brings. So you're never going to really see him trying to do too much out there. He plays within his own game. And I think that's a really good recipe for a, a, a successful and long professional career, whether it's with the Blues or or else. And <clears throat> David Perron is the guy I was thinking of, and now it popped into my head. I think he's the same, same type of player that, again, never going to be an all-star, never your, your go-to guy, but you need him to win. That's that's a that's a good comparable from what I've seen from his skill set. Um, Greg, this was great. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about Austin Boganski with me. Um, I want to make sure to give you plenty of time here to tell our listeners where they can find you uh, and your work, as well as anything on social media, if they want to follow you and the work you do for the hockeywriters.com. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, check me out, as you said, to hockeywriters.com. I've been doing, uh, in, in addition to my AHL Central coverage during the season, I also do some uh, Blackhawks articles there. If you guys just want to click on them, you don't have to read those, but I would appreciate the click. <laughs> um, and I've been doing a daily today in hockey history post that goes up every morning-ish. Um, and uh, you can check me out over there. And I'm also uh, very active on Twitter. You can follow me at Greg Boyson, uh, B-O-Y-S-E-N. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you're staying safe at this time, and uh, thank you very much for coming on the show, Greg. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, I want to thank our guests for coming on, of course. Now, uh, letsgoblues.com is where you go to find our show, to find any information about the show, um, obviously, you can find us on social media as well, but make sure you check out the letsgoblues.com shop for shirts and stickers. Uh, you can subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to letsgoblues.com slash radio. And, of course, uh, give us that five-star rating over on Apple Podcasts if you have not done so yet. And uh, I will add that if anybody wants a jersey that uh, is maybe looked them up on social media since the start of the show and said, those look pretty great because they do, uh, you can actually just email me, jponder94 at gmail.com, or you could send me a Twitter message, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and uh, I will let you know how you can go about ordering one of those jerseys um, because we will be doing a second order of those jerseys again uh, with uh, the popularity of them. I'm very happy to get those out for people because 
they are a nice looking jersey, and uh, it was very cool to see our logo on the front of a jersey. I know Kurt and Bill love theirs as well. So Twitter handles for the show. You can find the show Twitter at LGB Radio. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. That's Kurt with a C. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. Again, our next show uh, will probably be next week for uh, Past to the Future. But, again, if something happens, if there's any news, we'll have another live show. Um, but, uh, yeah, next show will definitely be next week. We just don't know in what format. Uh, I do know that uh, Greg does return uh, for a couple more episodes, talk about a couple more Rampage players. And then I have also uh, already interviewed Mr. Carlo Koliakovo. So that will probably be the next episode, but if not uh, two weeks away, three weeks away, whatever happens. But the next Past the Future episode will definitely feature former Blue and GIF legend Carlo Koliakovo. Well, that will conclude this episode. On behalf of Bill Day and Kirk Price, I'm Jeff Ponder, and let's go Blues. Uh, the Chiefs are at home tonight against Cyanusport at the War Memorial at 8. Good seats are still available. A look at sports. I think that went very well. Thank you for listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. Now take off, hosers. Well, there's 90 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Sorry. St. <laughs> Louis Blues, St. Louis Blues, have you heard the news about our St. Louis Blues? They've only just begun, they're on their way to number one, now there's no more blues for our St. Louis Blues. The blues are on the ice tonight again, they're rough and tough and got the stuff to win. They'll always get one more, no matter what the score. They are quite a hockey team, my friend.